Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. with you this morning. I, I just really was very blessed and encouraged by your, your wholehearted singing today. So thank you so much for that. Well, as we mentioned earlier, we are starting a series today where we're looking at several passages in the Gospels where Jesus talks about how a person can move forward spiritually. Now, he doesn't use that terminology necessarily, but he talks about having a relationship with God and seeing God work in your life. And, you know, what do you do when you're stuck? And the thing is, is that all of us, in one way or another, want to move forward. We want to be different people. We want to grow. We want to experience life in a a fuller, more joyful way. And we realize that there are things in our lives that that keep us stuck. It's kind of like we're, we're in the snow and we've got a car that just has front wheel drive or even worse, rear wheel drive, and we're just slipping and spinning, you know, on a hill and we're trying to get forward and we can't. We, we desperately wish we had a car that was all wheel drive or four wheel drive or something that you just shifted in gear and all of a sudden there's so much more traction and you just can move forward. So let me just put it to you this way. What I'm hoping over the next several weeks is to give you some spiritual traction on how to move forward by looking at what Jesus has to say in in the Gospels about making progress spiritually, about moving forward and becoming all that Christ has for you and for me as well. Now, I'm just curious. I want to do a little informal polling, you know, research here this morning, a little survey, all right. I'm just curious, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Would Would you bravely stick your hand up? And see, this is just like the first service. There were like three of us. So me and Chuck, yeah, and, and, and Emily are the only ones who are honest enough to admit that we've made a New Year's resolution. Okay, so let me, let me help you put your poker face on so you don't have to reveal anything. And let's just say it this way, all right? <clears throat> How many of you realize that, oh, it's the New Year. I really should try harder to lose some weight. I really should exercise more. I should really return those books back to the library. I should, I should not spend so much time on social media. I should, I should get my financial house in order, pay down some debt or, you know, put some money in savings. Maybe you've thought that there would be something that you could do that would make your life better, and you've kind of said to yourself, maybe not said it in prayer, said it to your spouse, said it to a friend, written, written it down in a journal, but you've just kind of said to yourself, I need to start doing this and life would be better. How many of you have thought that. Okay, so see, now there are some people who are thinking about those things. Okay, good. This series of messages is for you. It's really for all of us. Because the challenge that each of us face is that we know life could be better. We know that God has the abundant life for us. We know that God has a plan for our lives, but we feel like we're missing out on it. It's not what it could be. My marriage is not what it could be. My health is not what it could be. My, my intellectual development is not what it could be. My friendships, my social life is not what it could be. Financially, I'm not what I could be. And we recognize that something's missing. And we want to change, but we're stuck. And part of the reason why we're stuck is because we just don't have a clear grasp of reality. We don't see the truth. 
we don't see what's really holding us back. And the truth is, is that underneath the surface, you know, that we don't want to exercise and we don't want to get our financial house in order and we don't want to bother reconciling with these people, is that there's really stuff going on underneath the surface that's just kind of churning away and we don't realize and we're not necessarily honest and sometimes we do know it's there but we don't want to deal with it whatever these things that are underneath the surface. Now, if you have a friend who's a psychologist or if you ever go to a counselor and you start talking about that kind of stuff, you say, that's called denial. And just like all the great theologians have said and just like Mark Twain said and all the country western singers say, denial is not a river in Egypt. It is not. It is the fact that here's something that's true that we don't want to face. We don't want to see it. And we don't want to own up to it. Now, the truth is, and I say this because this is true of me and I have a hunch it's true of you, is that all of us as human beings have things that are underneath the surface that are just churning away and stirring up our lives. So maybe there's this habit that you have or I have that nobody knows about. And we spend a lot of money on it. We give a lot of time and energy to it. And it's eating away at our relationships, and it's chewing up our finances, and it's destroying and sapping us of energy. And all of this is going on, and we wish, we wish, we wish that we could be free from that habit. But it's just, just there. It's that, that behavior that we go to almost automatically to cope with the stress in our life. And we need to somehow break free from that habit, but we're stuck. And maybe it's, a, it's something that, it's a wound, it's a scar, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a trauma from our past. Somebody abused us, someone harmed us, betrayed us, neglected us, bullied us. And there's this wound. And we can deny that it's a problem, but it's not, it's, it is a problem, it's, it's still there. It's just, it's just waiting to erupt in our relationships. It's, it's waiting, it's just festering under the surface, just waiting to pop out and explode, hurt us some other way. That's denial when we don't deal with that. Others of us, maybe we don't have a habit, maybe we were not hurt somewhere in the past, but there's just this frame of thinking, there's this mindset that just, we're just kind of stuck in the way we think. I'm no good, I'm not worthy. Everything goes wrong for me. I'm always the person with bad luck. I'm always the person that falls short. No one cares about me. No one likes me. I, I really, I'm really just bad or no good or horrible. Nobody likes me. And that depression, that anxiety, that fear, that anger, it's just simmering below the surface. And, and the thing is, is we can say none of those things matter, but they all very much matter. And unless we're willing to get down and dig under the surface and deal with the root issues, then there'll never be any kind of change in our lives. We'll never move forward spiritually. We'll be perpetually stuck and not be able to move forward. So if you want to move forward, and if you feel like you're stuck, then you need to listen very carefully today and hear what Jesus has to say about becoming free because really the theme of these five weeks that we'll spend together looking at the teaching of Jesus the theme is just simply this it's when we follow Jesus we find freedom you follow Jesus and you find freedom that's really what he's trying to say 
especially in this passage that we're going to be looking at in John chapter 8, starting in verse 30. So I want to encourage you, take your Bible, please. I want you to read this, you know, follow along with me as I read. And I just want you to listen to this, what Jesus has to say, the truth that he has to say here. And if you'd like to use one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you, it's on page 894, 894, John chapter 8, and we'll start reading at verse 31. And as he, Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. This is God's word. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking to a group of people who have come to him who have listened to him teach. And the thing that's very interesting is that this passage in John, uh, John chapter 8 is part of a longer section of Scripture that actually begins back in chapter 7. Jesus at the is at the temple in Jerusalem, the holiest place in all of Israel. And the people of Israel have gathered and they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths. It's a time to celebrate uh, a time in Israel's past where the, the Israelites have been set free from being slaves in Egypt, they've been brought through the Red Sea, and now they're wandering in the desert, and guide, God is guiding them to their new home in the Promised Land. And during that time, they had to sleep in tents. They were in a big, big camping trip with God that way. And they were just remembering that, and they were celebrating that. And as part of the celebrations, there was worship services and sacrifices at the tabernacle, at the, the temple. They had these gigantic menorahs, these big Jewish candelabras that, that, that were all lit up at night so that people could be there celebrating at night and worshiping in the evening. There was a time where they would pour water out, and it was a big ceremony of celebrating God's uh, replenishing the earth and providing uh, all the nutrients and, and nourishment for, for the crops. And Jesus said, you know, this water reminds me that I'm the one that gives living water. And if you trust me, I'll send you the Spirit. And the Spirit will fill you. And, and then he gets into chapter 8 and he says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. And as people are listening to all of this and hearing what Jesus is saying, people are beginning to say, yes, I believe you. Yes, I trust you. Yes, yes, Jesus, you're, you belong to me and I belong to you. I, I'm following you. I believe in you. And that's why Jesus then says in verse 31, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You say you believe in me, but the only way you show you really believe in me is if you obey what I say. 
If you follow my words, you let my words live inside of you, and you live, in a sense, inside of my words. You do what I say. You keep on practicing it. You keep remaining in my word in that way. You're not just listening. You're not just hearing. You're not just saying, hey, I like that. But no, I'm going to live according to that. Now, they react to him because he says, if you believe my words, then you'll become free. You'll experience true freedom. And the Jewish listeners who have said they believe, they, they go, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. That's, I don't like that, Jesus. What do you mean we're free? I thought I already was free. I'm a Jewish guy. I'm a son of Abraham. What do you mean I'm a slave? I'm not a slave. How ironic. While there's Roman soldiers patrolling around the temple there where they're celebrating. How ironic that they're at a festival that's celebrating the freedom God gave in rescuing them from their slavery in Egypt and as he was bringing them to the promised land, how ridiculously ironic that was that they were saying, um, we're not slaves. Actually, they've been slaves to many countries over the years like Babylon and Rome and Egypt and Assyria and Syria and Greece. And so it's ridiculous that they're claiming that. And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about a political freedom. I'm talking about something else. He says... Whoever commits sin, in verse 34, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. This is the first reality we need to face up to. You see, when we face reality, we're actually facing the doorway that will open to our freedom. When we face the reality that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 8, we're actually staring at a doorway, and that's the doorway that opens up and leads to freedom. That's the doorway that opens up and leads us to being spiritually unstuck so that we can move forward in following Jesus and becoming all that he means for us to be as the children of God. And so the first reality that we need to admit and accept and identify as being true and real in our lives, whether we agree with them or not, they're true, but as we accept it, the reality becomes ours. It's this reality that our biggest problem is that we are slaves to sin. You may think that the issue is your finances or your health or your relationships. You may think that you need to get unstuck because this habit is really holding you back, whatever it is. But Jesus wants you to know that there's something even deeper, and that is the problem of being a sinner. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, you might be saying, well, okay, I, I, I agree with that, but I don't commit sin. I don't commit sin. I choked almost saying that. <laughs> How ridiculous. How absolutely ridiculous. None of us can say that we're not sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short of what God expects. We all fall short of his glory. So we know that, okay? And we've all sinned. And because that is true, then we desperately need help. We need to somehow get below the surface. It's not just these surfacey things that we see. There's these things underneath the surface that we need to deal with. And, and it's confronting the real reality, the truth, that we are sinners. This was highly offensive to the people that Jesus is talking to. How dare you call us sinners? How dare you call us slaves? This is terrible that you would do that. I thought I liked you. I'm not so sure anymore. Well, think about it. All the things that God has planned for your life that you're not experiencing, that's because of sin. 
all the things that God wants to accomplish in you, all the things about moving forward and becoming your, your full, reaching your full potential in Christ, when, that's, when we're not doing that, it's because of sin holding us back. And you say, well, what is sin? Sin is, is any time, any time that I offend God, any time I hurt myself, any time I'm hurting other people. Those are, those are just simply, simple ways of explaining what sin looks like. It's, it's, it's this, this, this malady, this disease, in a sense, that we all as human beings have that rebels against God and his plan for our lives. And it just is something that we constantly do that actually we wind up being enslaved to it. When I sin, hurt myself, hurt other people, offend God, I'm just giving evidence to the fact of a deeper problem that I'm a slave. I'm a slave to sin. I have no rights. I have a tyrant ruling over me, and it's, it's sin, the sinful nature that I have as a person. Until I stop denying that that's a problem, until I finally admit that, you know, no amount of education is going to get me out of this, no amount of money is going to get me out of this, no amount of drugs or alcohol are going to get me out of this, no amount of, of networking and schmoozing and just kind of getting in touch with all the people around me and, you know, socializing until I realize that that's not going to help me change. That's not going to help me fix this sin problem. I'm stuck. I am truly stuck. And what Jesus is saying is, you think that there are all these things oppressing your life? They're nothing compared to the real tyrant who's crushing you every day, and that's the tyranny of sin. You need somebody to set you free from that. You need to step out of denial, out of the darkness, out of the fog, the misconceptions of your life, and realize that God wants to set you free in his light. And see, the thing is, we think if I just were smarter, if I were just wealthier, if I just were healthier or looked nicer, if I just had better friends, maybe a new spouse, I would, I would finally be able to get ahead. And what Jesus is saying, no, until you deal with the problem of sin, you will never change. You'll never do that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great uh, Russian writer, of uh, the last decade or so, last uh, generation or so, uh, was speaking in 1978 at Harvard University. He was a Russian political dissident. He had served many years in a prison camp in a gulag. He had been set free. He had been exiled by the Soviet Union and had come to live in the United States. I believe it was in Vermont. And he was invited to speak at the commencement ceremony in 1978 at Harvard University. And as part of Solzhenitsyn's uh, commencement address, he acknowledged that Harvard University's motto was the Latin word veritas, which just simply means truth. And in the course of his speech that he was giving, he says, you have to make it your constant ambition to seek for truth. You have to constantly work to understand the truth. But the problem is the truth is often unpleasant. In fact, it's often very bitter. The truth, in a sense, he's saying, hurts. We don't like seeing it. And Jesus is saying the truth is about you and about me is that the reason we can't move forward spiritually, the reason we're not living up to our God-given potential, the reason that we're not becoming like Christ, the reason why we're stuck is because we're not dealing with the root problem, the problem of sin. We've got to stop denying that. I'd like to invite one of my friends, David Birchmeyer, to come. And Dave's going to share 
little bit, just a, just a snippet of his story. It's a wonderful story of how God worked in his life and helped him step out of denial and face the truth and how God was able to begin working and bringing about a great change in him as he did that. God bless you, brother. Yes, thank you. Good morning. I'm David. Good morning. I'm David, a believer in Jesus Christ who suffers with alcoholism, grief, and lust. Thanks for having me. I'm also the ministry leader for the Celebrate Recovery, and we have one of the best uh, CR groups around, not because of me, but because we have great leaders. I've been asked to speak about my journey in recovery. Uh, I'm excited and grateful to have this opportunity. First of all, what is CR if you're new here or if you never heard of Celebrate Recovery? It's a biblical 12-step program. It's similar to AA or NA, but we use biblical principles from the Beatitudes. We inject biblical truth and Christ's salvation into the recovery process. I also like to make this point real quick before I get into my story. There's only about 33% of people in Celebrate Recovery that are suffering with a chemical dependence or you know, addictions with drugs or alcohol. The rest are dealing with some other hurt or hang up. I know a lot of people think when they hear of Celebrate Recovery, that's a great program, but you know, I don't have, fortunately I don't have a problem with addiction. And then I say, but you got something. I know you got something. So just keep that in mind, that it's just not for the uh, addiction. I knew I had a problem when I was waking up more and more and not remembering what I did the previous night. The massive hangovers and feeling just like garbage. When I lost my police job, I was devastated. This set me over the edge into full-flown alcoholism. My whole identity was my status in law enforcement. And when I had to retire because of my eyes, it, it devastated me. My identity was in my profession, not in Christ. I lost relationships, girlfriends, fiancés. My recovery truly started when I was tired of being called out by my loving wife, tough love. I needed this tough love, but please know everyone in recovery is different. This is not appropriate to do for everyone. Recovery is very customized, but I needed the tough love because I was very thick-headed. Our recovery starts when our pain is more than our fear. So whatever you're going through, if you're hurting more than your fear of change, that's usually the tipping point into a lifestyle of recovery. You don't have to be perfect in it, but you have to be at least 51% on board with your recovery. So a majority, but not a super majority, just a majority, 51%. The consequences of my drunkenness were separation from our Holy Father. I hurt my dear Lauren and family. I had to declare bankruptcy and lost my grandfather's house that he built and gave to me free and clear. So he gave me a free house, and then I just remortgaged it twice just to continue my partying. So you know, that's probably the worst one that really 
That's the rock bottom of uh, bottoms. I didn't want to face reality and change. I was scared to face reality with a sober mind. I was drinking my whole adult life. So I didn't know how to function as a person without being under the influence as a, in a, when I was an adult. Kind of crazy if you think about it. I did not want to feel my emotions. Believe it or not, I am an introvert. I have to force myself to be social. In my drinking days, this was not a problem. God changed me and my recovery started when I was willing to change, like I said before, 51%. Less birch and much, much more God. I was also victorious because of my love of my life, Lauren, Pastor Josh, and later Pastor Scott at the chapel. God uses pain to get our attention. Very mild at first, but he would do whatever it takes for his will to be done. The question is now, how can I apply this to my life, or what we call in the theology world, application? First and foremost, ask for forgiveness to a holy father. If not a believer of Christ, become a Christian. Not just to do it, but earnestly, sincerely believe and research the Bible and Christ. There are many good people here at the chapel that would love to help you on your walk. This is a safe place. It's like a hospital for sick people. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. The Holy Spirit is the tool that God uses to contact you and to reach you and to help change you through sanctification. Or you could come to CR, the best place to be on a Friday night. I didn't make that up, but I love it. It's also, CR is also a safe place. And we have strict confidentiality. I can promise you this is a very much in force. Also, I, it helped me to find a good Christian counselor. I had to learn how to start the process of feeling my emotions and to learn how to express my emotions in a healthy way. I started volunteering here with student ministry. Also very important to give back. It's just something about changing your heart. It's kind of like the Grinch. You know, when he has the, the sled over the, over the cliff, he's about to push it off, and then he, something happens, and his heart starts growing, and it breaks the meter. That's kind of how volunteering feels. It's like you just start caring more about people. I also learned how to have fun in student ministry without drinking. Like I said, I drank my whole adult life up to the sobriety point, and I didn't know how to function. I worked the steps of celebrate recovering. I had a good mentor and Pastor Josh and later on Pastor Scott. I started an active relationship with Christ. It was a lifestyle, is a lifestyle. And I started a more sincere relationship once I finished my degree in biblical theology at Lancaster Bible College. And that's all I have. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, David. I thought David said a lot of very important things in that brief moment of uh, testimony, but what I want you to take away from is the fact that he tried recovery, he said he would do better, he did a lot of things, but until he finally hit that tipping point, 
where he was willing to really face the truth that he was a drunk, as he said, then he was able to finally get some help. Then he was able to finally humble himself and get the help that he desperately needed. And then he could change. And really, if there's anything about facing reality that you should take away as we talk about what Jesus is saying here, is that it all starts with this attitude of humility that I'm admitting, I'm admitting that I am a slave to sin and I desperately need the power of Christ to set me free. I don't care how respectable you appear to be. I know you're respectable. I don't care what front I may give to you and project of how I have my act together. The fact of the matter is, is we all are sinners. We are all slave to sin, slaves to sin, and we desperately need Jesus Christ to set us free. And if without him, we're not free. We can't change unless we humble ourselves and admit that. Now, a second thing that Jesus emphasizes in this passage, though, is not just that you and I are slaves to sin. We have to admit that and accept that as a reality in our lives. But he, needs, he wants us to understand that you don't just stop there with this bad news. There's a lot of good news, too. And the good news is that he, as the Son of God, has the truth that can set us free. Did you see that in verse 32? He said, if you continue in my word, then you truly are my disciples, verse 31. Then in verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Generally speaking, yes, recovery begins, change begins, we get unstuck when we face the truth, the general truth about how life really is. But Jesus is going to go further in John's gospel, as John reports this life of Jesus, is he's going to say that I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. You find that in John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the one that you should see and trust in. I'm the one that you need to humble yourself and come to because I'm the one who brings reality, a real relationship with God, the truth about how life really is, the life that you're desperately seeking for. I'm the way that you can experience all of these things, but you have to come to me because I'm the truth. I am the truth. And then a little bit further, he says, in verse 35, he says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. That's because a slave in, in the first century world, much like in you know, 18th century America, was just a piece of property. A slave was owned by somebody else. He had no rights. She had no rights to do her own thing, to go her own way, to be her own person. She had to do, he had to do exactly what the master said they have to do, what the master said to wear, what the master said they could speak and think and do. Jesus is saying that a slave to sin doesn't have any rights. He's just a temporary fixture in the family. He's not a permanent fixture. And that's why then he goes on and further says, but the son of the family remains forever. The son is a member of, of the family always and so you don't want to be a slave anymore. You need to become a son. You need to become a child of God. Well, who can help you do that? Who can make that change take place? The change takes place in verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In fact, I need you to read that with me because I'm not sure you heard that. Verse 36, read it out loud with me. Ready? If the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. And you ought to hit that last word real hard, indeed, because it's emphatic. As John reports what Jesus said, it's like Jesus was almost shouting that at that moment. If, you're, if the sun sets you free, you truly, really, surely 
for real are free because I make you free. You're this, I'm the son. The question is, though, there are a couple questions here. What, what does he mean by freedom? What does he mean by freedom? I think really the best way I know to explain what the freedom is that he's talking about here is that you can become everything that God created you to be. All the talents, potential, opportunities, gifts and abilities that God wove and made part of your life, wove into your life and created you to be, you can reach that to the fullest. But even beyond that, you can become everything that Christ died to save you to be. To set you free from sin and its control. To have the filling of God's spirit, the gifts of his spirit. To become everything that God means for you to be as your Savior and Lord. To reach your full potential. And I'm not just trying to say, you know, live positive and reach your potential. But what does God have, his plan for your life? I've been thinking a lot about goals for this year for myself. And I was reminded by another pastor, your most important goals have to do with your spiritual life, your walk with God. What are you becoming in your relationship with Christ? You know, great that you lose some weight. Great that you get your financial house in order. Great that you go to school and learn something. But what about your walk with Christ? Are you becoming all that God has for you there? That's what freedom is about, friends. It's about becoming everything that God has planned for you. About experiencing the richness and fullness of God's creation of you and God's salvation of you. That you become everything that he has planned and meant for you to be, to become like Christ with all his joy and all his abundance, to have the life that truly is satisfying and overflowing and without any regrets, life that really satisfies, the abundant life. That's what Christ means for us to have. And the thing is, when we're under the tyranny, under the slavery of sin, we can never experience that because all our time and energy goes to serving ourselves, which we are lied to and told that that's what freedom is. You get to do whatever you want. But really, whenever we're sinning, we're not doing what we want. We're really doing what the devil wants, his culture wants, and we're really slaves. It's, it's not that you get to, you're free to do whatever you want and when you're a slave of sin. It's, it's are you free to stop sinning? Are you free to stop doing what's not right? And unless we, can't, unless we stop doing what's not right, we're, we're really not free, are we? We just have to go in, like Proverbs says, like a dog returning to his vomit. And licking it up, how disgusting that picture is. And yet that's what sin does. We're a slave to that. The only one who can set us free is Jesus. How does he do that? Well, the thing that's amazing is that this son paid the price for our freedom. Not so much in this passage, but if you keep reading in John's gospel, you'll eventually get to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, we see Jesus, the son of God, who's free humbling himself and going to the cross. And he's nailed to the cross. And as he's hanging on that cross, not because he's done something sinful and he's guilty himself. No, he's taking my place and he's taking your place. He's being our substitute. He's rescuing us, taking the punishment and the torture and the pain and the suffering and the death that you and I deserve because we're slaves to sin. He, the free son of God, chose to make himself a slave and he humbled himself and he went to the cross. And as Jesus is hanging on that cross, nailed by his hands and nailed by his feet, crowned with thorns, mocked and ridiculed, tortured and beaten, as he's hanging there, suffocating, dying on that cross, his last words are, it 
is finished. And then it says he dismisses his spirit and dies. It is finished. It has been finished, literally. What's he saying? An artist is working on a painting or a sculpture, and when they come to the conclusion of their work, they say it's finished. Voila, there it is. A soldier stands on the battlefield after fighting against the enemy and defeating them, and they shout, it is finished, we've won! A bookkeeper is reconciling the statements and seeing the debts and seeing the credits, and as he balances all that out, she balances all that out to get to the end, and everything is reconciled, and the debts have been paid off, and they would write at the bottom, it is finished, it's paid in full. It is finished. Jesus is saying all of that when he's hanging on the cross, dying for you and dying for me. It's finished. Everything has been done to set them free. Every debt has been paid. All the work has been accomplished. The battle has been fought, and it's been won, and I can set them free. So if I set them free, they are free indeed. No more guilt. No more shame. No more bondage. No more fear. No more death. It's finished. What I'm doing here finishes it. They're now free indeed. We have to face the reality that Jesus is the only one who can set us free from our slavery to sin. And see, the thing is, is that we think, well, like the Jewish people that were talking with Jesus, well, we're the sons of Abraham. We're part of the chosen race. We're God's people. What do you mean we're slaves? We're, we're better than the Gentiles and the other pagans that are out there. We're better than the other religions because we've got the truth. We're the sons of Abraham, the law, the prophets. We've got all this. And Jesus says, you miss the point. You're a slave to sin. And your ethnicity and your religious background is not going to free you from that sin. You need the Son to set you free. And I'm the Son who can do that. You need to face the reality, Jesus is saying to you and to me, you can't save yourself. You can't overcome alcoholism by yourself. You can't break your porn habit by yourself. You can't reconcile with those difficult people in your life that that's what you really hope for and want is to get along with them. And, and you can't do that by yourself. You can't become a truth teller and stop lying without the help of Jesus. You, I don't think, can become healthy without the help of, help of Jesus. You won't be able to put your financial house in order without the help of Jesus. You'll never overcome sin. You'll never break free. You'll never shed those hang-ups. You'll never get healing from your hurts, your wounds of your past, unless you come to Jesus. And I know some of you have gone through tremendous hurts. And I don't minimize any of that. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to free you if you're willing to come to him and humble yourself and ask him to help you. You see, 
This is all tied together by a third reality that we need to see in this passage. Okay, so there's the reality of that we're, we're slaves to sin. We've got to admit that, as painful as that is, we've got to admit that that's the truth about us. We're trapped in our sin and we can't set ourselves free. I'm trapped in these habits and these hurts and these hang-ups and I can't set myself free. But I also need to admit the truth is, but there is a Savior, there is the Son who gave his life and finished the work so I can be set free. The third reality is, do I really trust him? Am I really humbling myself and receiving the freedom that he offers? We see this in this opening sentence in this paragraph. Because it says in verse 30 that there were people who were believing in Jesus. But then he says in verses 31 and 32, Jesus is saying, but the way you're believing is not right. <laughs> you need to fix it. Let me show you what real faith is. So he says to the ones who are, who are believing in him, who have believed in him already, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will lead to your freedom. It'll set you free. It'll liberate you. You see, what he's trying to say here is that the faith that saves, the faith that liberates, the faith that helps us see reality and get us unstuck starts with understanding that it's what Jesus has said and done. That's the basis of our faith. It's not just liking Jesus. It's not just agreeing with Jesus. It's not just thinking Jesus is, is cool or right. But it's coming to the place where we say, Jesus, I surrender. I'm not going to go my own way anymore. I'm willing to continue in your word. I'm going to go your way. I'm going to live my life your way. I'm going to follow your word, what your word says. So it's really hard to find freedom from any of these things that are causing us to be stuck. It's hard to find freedom if we're not in the word of God because this is the truth that sets us free. And then later on, as the the people that Jesus is talking to are pushing back and Jesus has just offended them by saying, but we're, you're a slave to sin. And then he says in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son stays there forever. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. See, he's just said, just a, a moment or two earlier, if you really believe in me, then you're going to live your life according to my word, but you're trying to kill me. That's evidence that my word doesn't have any room in your life. There's no place in your life for my word. You don't want to continue in my word. You don't want to follow me. You don't want to obey me. You don't want to humble yourself and yield to me and surrender to me. You've not cleared out any space in the soul of your heart of your life to make room for my were to get parked there and planted there to bear fruit in you. You see, you can't say, I can't say that I trust in, G in Jesus and I'm following Jesus if I'm rejecting what he says and what he's done. Unless I submit to him, unless I humble myself and yield to him and let him lead me, be my Lord is the, the, the old-time biblical way of saying it. Let him be my master and owner. Let him be my Lord. Unless I do that, and I show that by surrendering to what his word says, I really don't believe. I'm not facing reality. And there'll never be any freedom, and there'll never be any change. And he goes very clear and says, look, you, you're trying to kill me. 
and, and the rest of the, of the chapter 8 is this, this debate between Jesus and these religious leaders. And, and they say he's crazy, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And no, but you're trying to kill me because they were plotting to kill Jesus because they were rejecting his truth. And, and all of this, and it culminates with this statement that Jesus says at the very end of the chapter, before Abraham ever came into existence, I was. I was already there. I am there. I am the eternally existing, all-sufficient, self-sufficient, almighty God. That's me in human flesh. And this was a tough pill for them to swallow. Because they didn't want to humble themselves and say that they needed to surrender to Jesus. They didn't want to admit that they were broken. They didn't want to admit that they were sinners. They didn't want to admit that they were lost. They didn't want to admit that they really had all these hurts and habits and hang-ups underneath the surface. Because these aren't just new things that people are wrestling with. These are things that people have been wrestling with since the Garden of Eden. And until we face the truth, that only Jesus can set us free and we have a problem that's too big for us to solve, the problem of our sin, until we humble ourselves and ask him to set us free, we'll never be free. We have to face reality and do that. So there's this big garbage patch in the middle of the North Pacific Ocean. It's about the size of the state of Texas. And what was interesting is that back in 1992, there was a container ship, that, cargo ship, that left Hong Kong and was sailing for the United States. And in one of the containers on that large cargo ship was a container full of 28,000 rubber duckies. Little bathtub toys. Rubber duckies, frogs, turtles. You know, those little squeaky toys that are in the bathtub. Maybe you have one. <laughs> that cargo ship hit a rough storm. Several of the containers broke loose and fell into the ocean. The waves were so rough, they banged up against each other, and one of the containers broke open, and all 28,000 of these rubber duckies got launched into their maiden voyage. Some wound up in Japan, some wound up on the west coast of the United States, some went as far as Alaska, some went to Australia and South America, all over the Pacific. But there's about 2,000 of the rubber duckies that are stuck in this great Pacific gyre, this, this circular current that just, as it swirls, in a actually in a clockwise how do I do it for you? Clockwise motion, like this, okay? Excuse me. This clockwise motion. It just, it, it, the, the currents go between Alaska and Japan and across the equator and back up the west coast of the United States and Canada. And it just, this, this, this circular motion just keeps this, all this plastic debris into this one concentrated area, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And there's about 2,000 of those rubber duckies in that Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And the thing is, every now and then, one of those rubber duckies, believe it or not, is found frozen in Arctic ice. They have found some of these rubber duckies in Newfoundland and Scotland. And some of you are ge geographers and you're going, wait, that's the Atlantic. Somehow it gets across. Every now and then, even 25 years, 26 years later, people are still finding some of these rubber duckies 
And you think, how does it get there? Something has to disturb the garbage patch and knock one or two or three of the duckies free. Maybe it was the wind. Maybe it was a rogue wave. Maybe some marine life. Hey, that looks like fun. Well. <laughs> and it breaks free of the swirling currents and gets carried to another location. But you know what? Those rubber duckies are going to stay there until something acts upon them to knock them out and set them free. They cannot free themselves. I'm not saying you're a rubber ducky. But maybe you're a lucky duck. Maybe you're a lucky duck if you're willing to humble yourself and let Christ set you free. If you're willing to admit and step out of denial and let him unstick you, make you unstuck so that you truly can experience the freedom and life and blessing that he has for you that your and my slavery to sin keeps us from experiencing. Jesus is the one who gave his life for you. He's the one who paid the price and finished the work and now it's done and you can be free. But you'll never be free. I'll never be free until we humble ourselves and ask him to free us. If you talk to Dave afterwards, he'll tell you that trying to overcome alcoholism in his life, he'll, he'll be quick to tell you because he's corrected me before. When I say this, the battle, the battle of, over alcoholism, the battle over drugs or porn or whatever in your life, over anger. And really, it's a battle, yes, of course it is. But it's a battle that can be won because Christ is the victor. He's the conqueror. And so really the battle is, Jesus, will I humble myself and yield to you and surrender to you? And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, dear one. You are free. Let us pray together, and then we're going to share the Lord's table together. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your help today. I want to thank you for for the, the gifts you've given me to be able to share this with the church family. I thank you for what you've taught me. And Lord, I just here now in front of my church family just want to say that I know I'm a slave to sin and I thank you that Jesus, you're the one, you're the son who can set me free. And so do that. Keep working in my life, I pray. And I ask you to do that in each of my, my friends who are here this morning. Those who are guests, those who are members, those who are attenders, those who have been lifelong fellowshippers here. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to see that it's time to stop denying that we don't have any problems and instead that we would humble ourselves and get the help from you that we desperately need. Thank you, Father in heaven, for your loving kindness. Thank you for your work in our lives, and I pray that you would bless the, the the communion service that we're about to share together as we, we remember what Christ has done in giving his body and giving his blood so that the work would be finished, so that we could be set free. I'm asking, Father, that you would truly receive this bread and cup thankfully, worshipfully, obediently, and humbly. 
May you be glorified as we remember Jesus who gave himself to set us free. Help us humble ourselves and come out of denial and receive the forgiveness and life he offers. I pray for your blessings on this. In the name of Jesus, amen. So while our servers are getting ready to come, and you can go ahead and come forward now, folks. I just want to